Okay, welcome again to another episode of the podcast now. Today we have a super cool guest. Happens to be my mother, my uh, Faye Garlock. Welcome today, Faye. Thank you, mother. Son. <laughs> um, today, um, I, I wish this was a little easier topic than it is, but um, a few years back, my mother had her sister murdered uh, by her son. And it's a story a lot of people have heard. But the truth is, it's a story that's taken a long time to come together, like 15, six, let's see, 15 years or something like yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, and to tell the story, I mean, the way it's been told is is like bits and pieces here on the news, bits and pieces here from people. And I don't think that there's anywhere where it's all kind of put together in one big story form. And we're going to go ahead and try to do that today. Um, so... Anyway, to start off, uh, my aunt, my mom's sister is named Lara, and um, I guess we're going to go all the way back from the beginning where uh, Lara was a little girl, you were her older sister, and uh, tell us how that, how was she as a little girl? Do you remember, like, anything specific? How was she as far as personality goes? Well, she was always a quiet um, kind of girl, and um, just kind and and um, calm and nice, and just um, really mellow, nice little girl. She seemed. I, mom, do you remember? I mean, I know you remember, but I remember her living with us when I was super young. Yeah. She must have been still a teenager or something yeah. then. She was young then, yeah. Um, right after high school, she came and lived in with us in Salt Lake okay. for a while. I remember, yeah, she used to be, I would imagine, my first babysitter. She was very, yeah. very, but anyway, as a little girl, very kind, very mellow, I can see that. She was super, super soft-spoken. Um, as far as socially, did she... Was that? She was quiet. Quiet. She was private. Not, yeah. not out hanging out with the, her f- friends a ton? Or? She had a few uh, really good friends. She didn't have a lot of friends, but she had really good friends that, um, that were hers. So, so you got all the feistiness. <laughs> she didn't yeah. get a ton of that, did no. she? No. <laughs> I don't have any either. Oh, okay. I don't know how it got passed on then. Um, anyway, yeah, I do remember her being super soft-spoken and uh, just very kind. Yeah. And, uh, and always having a ton of hair. Yeah. She Did she ever have short hair? Well, that's kind oh, of Oh, actually, a, I did see a picture. Yeah, later uh, in life she had short yeah, hair. Yeah, but it seemed like it was just always all the way down to her waist. One yeah, length. she had long hair a lot, but... When she was a little girl, um, she had really, really thin hair, and Mom was always so upset because she didn't know what to do with her hair. It was just hardly any, and I remember Mom let this lady babysit Lara once, and while the babysitter had her, the babysitter cut her hair. And Mom was so 
mad. And the lady who did it says, well, when you cut it, when it's so thin like that, it comes in comes thicker. thicker. <laughs> and I don't know if it, uh, but it did. It came in Well, I understand that's really probably thick. not the, the only haircut that she um, got that wasn't um, solicited <laughs> by her, right? Didn't you well, uh, cut her hair once yeah. for her? She, I, I felt, well, I was excited to cut her hair because the styles were kind of just straight and kind of blunt. And so I thought that I could just take the scissors and go straight around her hair and cut it and it would be so cute. And I was excited to cut her hair. And I said, Lara, do you want me to do this? And it's going to be so cute and you're going to love it. And of course it was a disaster. <laughs> it looked... So awful, and I felt so bad. But Lara never got mad at me. She never yelled. She didn't throw any books at me or anything. She just said, oh, well, you tried. <laughs> well, so tell, tell us about the, you were up in Montana. Tell us about that. How many siblings are there? We had uh, five brothers and two sisters. Okay. And Lara and I were the only girls. And you guys just lived in a average little, I mean, mm -hmm. that little town I know of uh, San Ignatius, but what what kind of a atmosphere was at home? Was it you guys, your dad gone a lot, your mom was? Mm -hmm. My dad was, uh, he worked long hours. He was a logging truck driver and he would go up in the woods early, early, like start at 3 in the morning, and he had long, long days. And the mom always stayed home, raised his kids yeah. in the house. I never got the idea that there was a ton of money to go around. You guys were pretty oh, no. humble growing up, right? Yeah, we were not wealthy yeah. by any means, no. So, Laura... As she grew up, you took off and moved to Utah when you were about 18, right? Yes. Uh -huh. And how old was she at the time? She would have been about 13. She's about five years oh, younger okay. than I. <clears throat> and so you uh, moved to Utah, you got married, started having kids, and then she at one point moved in yeah. just for a little while with us. Oh, yeah, when you were small. Right. Yeah. She came down here to get a job and... and um, work on her own for a while. She brought a cute little car, yellow, and yeah, and she helped me raise my rowdy children, and <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> she, she was a... Uh... So then about what time, about how old was she when she got married to uh, Jeff? Hmm. You know, I could figure that out. But she was but, still pretty young. Yeah, she was young. She wasn't... Yeah, so along came, I'm, I'm going to probably, Jeff was um, probably the perfect storm for her. If you can imagine a a very kind, tender-hearted, meek, mild little girl, and then somebody that kind of came along and took advantage of all those qualities, it seems like that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. He just seemed like he was loud, yeah. um, arrogant. Arrogant, yeah. And... You know, we're not just talking to him about him like this because they ended up at one point getting divorced, but he was just tough to be around, wasn't he? I yeah. Mean, a little bit just like... He would do things like um, 
I remember right after Jeremy was born, he was um, young, and uh, Lara and I went out shopping in the, it was in July, and I don't even think their car had an air conditioner then, but we came back, and Jeremy just had a little sweat on the back of his head. His hair was a little damp, and he took Jeremy out and said, what have you been doing to my boy here? If you can't take better care of him than this, I, I just won't let you take him anymore. And that's kind of how he was. He just was always right, and, and she was always mellow and didn't say a word That's kind of how, what kind of a dad he was and kind of a husband too, huh? Yeah. Just pretty controlling and... It just seemed like when he walked into the room, he kind of took the air out of the room because he was just so loud and and kind of needed the attention to be on him, didn't he? Yeah. Needed to be right. Mm -hmm. Needed to be right. And always. he kind of raised Jeremy that way. Um, Laura was more of a passive kind of a mom, I would uh -huh. imagine, just kind of kind and loving. He was more of a, was he, I mean, do you think he was pretty authoritative with... Yes, he was authoritative about everything was. that he did, yeah. So, as their marriage went on, things obviously didn't get any better. Jeremy started, uh, he obviously grew up. Um, now, Jeremy was, all of his life, a really good student. Wasn't he super bright? Very bright. Very bright. Very bright. Like, like not just the typical smart no. kid. I mean, he was just like never got he got all A's, didn't he? I mean, I'm sure he got never got anything but an A. Yeah, all through He was just he like was... kind of uh, freaky smart. But as far yeah. as personality wise, he um, I mean, he wasn't very social. I mean, he was super. You would say socially awkward, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. He didn't. It wasn't like he had a group of friends. It wasn't like he was. Uh, ever one of those kind of kids that was you'd consider social at all, really. No. If he ever had friends, he would only have one at a time. Yeah. Just, um, he wasn't social. And so, kind of like my memory of him, it seemed like he was, seemed like he was a little disrespectful to his mom. Mm -hmm. um, uh, seemed like he was, kind of picked up a lot of the characteristics of his dad. Uh, mm -hmm. Other than being kind of a quiet boy like his mom, he was um, kind of arrogant, didn't yeah. feel like he needed to be appreciative of much. I remember John and I took him to Comic-Con one time, and we spent the whole day there with him, and when we dropped him off, he just got out of the car. And I remember I was probably 20 or something, and I said to him, hey, Jeremy, as he was walking away from the car, I was like, this is, this is where you say thanks. And he just kind of turned away and... And left, but um, the majority yeah. of the stories I hear about him, that's kind of you know how he was. He was, he got what he wanted. He was um, very self-centered, and he was very, very proud of how smart he was. He yeah. felt like he was smarter than anyone, and he was probably smarter than most people. Yeah, he was really smart. Okay, so at one point, I mean, with, I mean, there was a lot of. Obviously, more to the story when it came to her divorce from Jeff, but that was kind of a welcome sight, I, I would imagine, to you, right, when that ended up happening? She called me one night. They were living in Missoula then, and she told me that um, she was leaving Jeff. Uh, he had 
he was hard and he had a drinking problem and he, I don't know, he did hard, hard things. And so she said she was finally leaving him and she asked if she could come and live with me, my husband and I, while uh, she got on her feet again. And I had very, very mixed feelings. I was felt so bad for her. I knew she'd had a long haul of hard things. But at the same time, I was so excited to have her come and live with us and get to see her every day. It was that part I loved. And up to that point, I would imagine our side of the family, since we're here in Utah, um, didn't get to know him, obviously, as much as uh, as, as Jeremy was growing up as much as the rest of the family up in Montana did. But um, that was when we kind of really started getting to know him pretty well. Yeah. Like, uh, and and after the description we gave of him, that kind of played out a lot. Like, didn't he pick the uh, main bedroom down in the basement when they moved in? Yeah. And kind of just like... They were moving in downstairs, and I told them, you can just have the whole downstairs. You just do whatever you want with it. And... um, after a while, I went down and checked on them, and to I was surprised to see there were two bedrooms down there. One is a big, pretty big bedroom. It had closets all along one whole wall and um, a nice bedroom, and the other one was so tiny. It had a closet about 18 inches wide, I think, and only room in there for a bed and a dresser, and that's it. And I just assumed that's where Jeremy would go. But Lara gave him the choice of bedrooms, and he chose. He wanted the he wanted the big one, and she was fine to let him do that. She had all these her hobbies and crafts and stuff, and she stuffed them all into that little room, and he took yeah big bedroom. I remember that being. Um I remember, yeah, slowly getting to know him, and and uh, back to his dad. His dad went through quite a few jobs, didn't yeah. he, over alcoholism issues and just losing jobs. Plus, uh, wasn't wasn't the best of husbands when it came to a lot of things. But uh, as we got to know Jeremy, he continued to excel in school, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. Um, he continued to, as far as the social part, be be pretty awkward. Although it seemed like, as things un, unrolled out, he um, he did have a few friends. He had one really good friend, like um, usual for Jeremy, and um, they spent a lot of time together. And in many ways, they seemed like um, normal kids. They laughed and hung out yeah and i i remember even though he was pretty disrespectful and pretty awkward and pretty i remember he would poke his mom in the head and kind of be disrespectful when he was talking to her and stuff like that but i do remember she just always seemed to be super proud of him she adored him she loved everything about jeremy she was so proud of him she loved how tall he was um, she loved that he was so smart, and she just thought he was awesome always. Yeah. And she was a good mom yeah. to him. Great mom. She. So when they finally got on their feet, after about a year, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah, moved. they lived with us for almost a year. 
Mm-hmm. Then they moved into a condo down mm-hmm. in uh, Bountiful, uh-huh. just down the street. Yeah. Where it kind of pulled the same thing. He took the only bedroom. Wasn't it just kind of like a one bedroom and he took it and she ended up being in an unfinished basement almost? Kind yeah, of thing? that's exactly it. And the same, um, he had a great big color television and she had a little black and white portable, those little tiny television. Yeah, he always got the good stuff. Yeah, he... So he was in high school or just had finished, right? Somewhere about that age. I guess he was 18. Yeah, he, he, went, to, he went to school in Bountiful here, and it, a high school for a couple of years, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. Okay, and then she was obviously working uh, there in North Salt Lake. And uh, so that kind of paints the picture as far as they had just moved out. They'd been there together for a while. He was kind of being him she was obviously working hard she they would come to family get-togethers that we had every now and then right mm-hmm. um, they were just kind of mixed in with our family all the time right pretty much yeah and everyone kind of everyone loved Laura and kind of just t- somewhat tolerated him as far as yeah you'd never say anything bad or do anything that would make Jeremy feel bad or anything because not because of how Jeremy feel, but you knew it would hurt Lara. Yeah. And that's why I think everybody went so far. I mean, Dad took him fishing and yeah. all that all the time. And when John and I took him to the, it, it was all always the kind of, because Lara was so great and we wanted to uh, obviously do our best to get a good relationship with him at one point. But yeah. So anything else you want to say about that? His, his growing up or his... Uh, up until that point there in August? Um, he was really, really smart. He uh, went to other schools in other states and comp- competed with them with his computer skills, and mm. they would win those competitions. And, um, yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah. And that's, I think, going to come into uh, be a big part of the story here down the road when we get to it. But so... There, the beginning of August in 2006, um, we had a family get-together. Uh, it was, it was uh, Hayden, my son's baptism, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we'd got the, f- we, obviously everybody was invited and she didn't, t- go ahead and just start from there. She, she didn't go to that. No, well, um... <laughs> I forgot to tell her about it in the first place. And on my way home from work, we worked together. She got a job working in the same place I did. And um, I thought, oh, my goodness, I forgot to tell Laura about this. So I called her Friday night and invited to invite her to our parties, and she never answered. And I called Jeremy because when Laura didn't answer, Jeremy always did. But neither of them answered, and I continued calling her all day Saturday and Sunday. And I remember Sunday night telling um, my husband, I have been trying to get hold of Laura all weekend, and she hasn't answered one time. And um, I'm wondering if she's okay. And he said, oh, she just got a new car. She's probably out. So I was eager for Monday to come. And I thought, if she starts work at 9, I'm going to call her at 9.15 and see where she's been all weekend and how she is. And um, 
before I was able to call her, her work called me and asked where Lara was, because Lara was a very faithful employee. She was never late. She worked hard. And if I had been 15 minutes late, no one would have noticed. But <laughs> when Lara was 15 minutes late, they, they called the check on her. That's when I really started to worry. So at this point, it's been a couple of days since anybody had heard from her. Mm-hmm. And then when work called, obviously something was wrong. So um, couldn't get a hold of Jeremy. So is that when you guys called the police? Pretty much. I, I called around. I tried to talk to Jeremy's work and see if he had been going to work, and they wouldn't tell me anything. Uh, and um, I called my brother to see if by chance he had gone to Montana to visit with them. And... and my brother said something that just struck me. She, he said, you know, if Jeremy has hurt Lara, she could be down there and not able to get out and help herself. And so that's when I said, okay. I kind of felt like that, but now my brother has said it. So I went right down to her place and tried to knock on the door, tried to get in and talk to her. There was no answer and then we called the police. And uh, so that, after you called the police, um, did you all go there and meet at the, at the apartment? Mm-hmm. And then they went through the window, through the window up there, through a ladder. Mm-hmm. And when they came out, I don't, I don't remember this part of this, but what, what happened? They just came out and said that they'd found her? Or they'd found a female, yeah. right, in the... Um, as soon as he went through the window, I, I heard like a yell, and I didn't know what that meant, but then we just waited, and then they came out, yeah, and told us that um, it was bad in the house, and we weren't able to go in or do anything. They put the yellow tape around, and it was all of a sudden a crime scene. So they had explained that they had found a woman in the freezer uh-huh. in one of those little, uh, those freezers that are kind of laying down, right? Chest-type freezer, yeah. yeah. You open up from the top, so, yeah. and she was in there, I remember them explaining it, kind of like upside down in there, yeah. head first kind of. Uh-huh. And uh, that's basically all we really got told, right? Because I remember mm-hmm. you called me pretty early in the whole thing. We ended up meeting over at Bountiful Police Department, and there was an investigator. And it kind of, th- there wasn't a ton of detail other than that was most likely her and yeah. that she w- was frozen. frozen in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember there not being too big of a, uh, I mean, it seemed like it. What what had happened was probably pretty obvious. I mean, it wasn't like people were looking for some serial killer, right? I mean, they, pretty much, no. Jeremy was gone. Their car was gone. Um, yeah, and I had a hard time accepting that that was Larry in the freezer, but everyone else was pretty sure that it was. And that, um, now that you bring that part up, that that part was actually pretty tough, I remember, because, I mean, when you have a full-grown woman that, I mean, she'd been in that freezer for a couple days, was completely frozen, that took a while, didn't it? Yeah. 
It took a while to thaw her out. They didn't want to... Accelerate it. No, in any way. They just wanted her to thaw out um, naturally. It took a long time. It did take a lot. I remember that taking a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally at that, at one point they knew it was her. Mm -hmm. And everyone was kind of looking for Jeremy at that point. Yeah. As to where he was. And were there any... I remember... uh, I don't remember this. This whole story, I remember being one of the big, biggest stories on the news by far. Obviously, at the time, it was the biggest story. But it, uh, this kind of thing doesn't happen in Bountiful, Utah, very often, mm-hmm. of any or anywhere. But especially Bountiful, it was kind of a, uh, it was a huge story. Yeah. And and at the time, I remember everybody was just really. Um, it was very odd that Jeremy wasn't around for that long, and so they pretty much had. Decided that he had done it, mm-hmm. right? And they then were for sure looking for him. They were looking for him, and him. right. So the next thing was probably he was still gone, and uh, there was going to be a funeral here in Bountiful, and also one back in Montana where she would be buried yeah. with the rest of your family up there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how did that? Right at the first, they took her over to the uh, funeral home. And started preparing her, and that's where I kind of got a good look at her. Um, they weren't going to put her in a coffin in right there in Bountiful. They were just going to so her body was just kind of laying there on a table, getting ready for the funeral, right? Right. Uh-huh. And that's where we got a pretty good look at what he had done to her, um, as far as how she ended up dying. Mm-hmm. And there was an obvious bullet hole, right? Did you want to explain kind of, do you remember that part much, Mom, that uh, how she looked as like the first time you saw her all the way thought out? And mm-hmm. Well, she had a bullet wound through the side of her head in one side, not the other. And, and he had also cut her throat from ear to ear. And... Um, I just remember uh, having the most overwhelming feeling that I just needed to give my sister hugs and hold her so close and um, and comfort her. And I did that as much as I could. But the, I mean, the feeling. I know it seems. I think it's a pretty typical feeling for people to be um, to think of their loved one being cold even mm-hmm. when they're buried and I know you had a hard time with knowing your sister who hated the to be cold in the first place even being mm-hmm. cold let alone frozen yeah and so I, I would imagine it was kind of a peaceful feeling to finally see her not in that state anymore yeah but I remember her um like um something happens when you freeze a body I've heard it kind of swells and, I don't know, her, her hands were like hard and, and cold, but I'm not, I haven't been one much to um, touch people much after they're dead, but I just kept holding her hands, trying to get them warm all through that viewing. I, it was probably weird for people, but just seems so important to me to be able to hold her hand and comfort her and try and warm her up. 
I can imagine that. Um, that had to be horrible. I uh, when we got a closer look, um, the funeral home. He's a he. The guy who runs that is a good family friend. But they they kind of explained that the bullet hole probably would not have killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, it. They explained that it probably went through her sinus cavities and didn't, didn't hit her brain. Um, I would have met, what was it, like a twenty-two or something? But it went all the way through. I yeah. remember there was... And then um, she would have probably lived through that. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and when you say he cut her throat, uh, that... I mean, I'm, I'm super... I don't mean to get into the gory bits of it, but that that was just more than a cut. I mean, that was... Yeah. He almost decapitated her. Yeah, that that was almost all the way around and and uh, horrible. horrible. I remember even the the uh, people that were getting her body ready were, I mean, they had to put a big bandage and material around it just because it wasn't something you were going to hide with some wax or something. It was just a big, horrible cut. Um, so at this time, getting her ready for the funeral in Bountiful, and that was about the time where the news hit that he had been found in Missoula, Missoula Montana. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did that feel when he got when they finally got a hold of him? Well, it was a big relief for sure. Um, yeah, relief. But there, there was, was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of fear, actually, I remember, fear. in the family because oh. we uh, were all heading, we were going to be heading down to um, to have the second funeral there in, in Montana, mm-hmm. and nobody was really too excited about not knowing where he was um, before that happened. Right. We didn't really have a funeral in Utah. We had a viewing. Oh, a viewing, that's right. And then, um, and then we took her... To Montana for a funeral, and yeah, it was a scary, traumatic, awful time. So when they found him, before they were going to bring him back, he was uh, pretty loaded up as far as his arsenal went, right? Yeah, he had spent days buying guns and a whole bunch of ammunition, and he even bought himself a bulletproof vest. It seemed like his plan was to uh, finish the job there with the rest of the family if he was heading down there to Missoula where everybody else was going to be. Was that kind of the that idea? The feeling that that was what he was there for, to kill all of the family. And so, yeah, uh, that was obviously a good thing that he finally got caught. Um, now... We took off and went down to, we were in Missoula when, while he, he was still in Missoula. By the time we got there, he was about to have his first court date, yeah. right? The, uh, obviously, the media was all over this. and it, 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 There was never really a, uh, a question whether or not he did it or not. No. But he was being brought back to Utah. But before that, he'd stopped in Missoula and had, had his first uh, court hearing where we all just kind of sat in a room and watched it on. It's kind of like a... Uh, video court hearing, right? Right. Um, and so, tell me, 
the uh, the officers who drove him home that escorted him, they kind of didn't have much good to say about him, did they? they... Well, no, they, um, they felt like he was one of the scariest people they'd um, met in their lives. And um, the one said, he, I'm sure, is a serial killer. We were lucky that he got caught on his first murder, but he... I don't know. He had plans. Um, he had all those guns, all yeah, that Yeah, you don't ammunition. have a bunch of guns like that, and much, as much preparation if you weren't planning on. And he had already crossed the line once as far yeah. as killing somebody. It wouldn't have been too far-fetched to think that he was planning to do more, right? Right. And plus, we found notes in his bedroom when we were cleaning right after Laura was gone, and uh, one note I remember very vividly. He said, I hate you all. The day of reckoning is at hand. I am the angel of death. F, bad word, die. <laughs> that's a, that's a... So, yeah, we were afraid of him. Yeah, for a good reason. Um... There were also other things. I remember there was one of the high school teachers that had kind of said that they'd had a some sort of a note that they had that explained that he wondered what 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 was that note that one of the teachers the said? The teacher had him write down something that they could do if they knew no one else would ever know about it. And Jeremy wrote he would like to kill someone to see what it felt like. Hmm. And you know when you look backwards on things, it's 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 kind of like, wow, why didn't everybody see this? And, you know, a lot of people did worry about his, um, what he was capable of doing, but nobody really foresaw any of this as far as that. I mean, did you? Did no. you? He, he was, he was a kind of a dork, but it wasn't like he um, had, was out killing animals or out being. No. No, he just was odd. Yes. He, um, but we, you would have never expected him to be to, to be a murderer the way he was, is. But um, he didn't ever exhibit a lot of violent behavior. Um, he spoke nicely. He was polite. Um, he went to church, and he, on his own, got up and bore testimony that he loved the church and he loved living in Utah. He played on the church basketball team. He was a horrible player, but he loved when people would pass to him. And, um, yeah, there were no signs. Uh, he was odd, but he was. there were no signs that he was a murderer. Yeah. And so the funeral happened up there in uh, Missoula, or just north of Missoula. Uh, it was a really cool funeral. Uh, it was nice to have him in custody at the time. Uh, I remember, oddly enough, his dad walked in right in the middle of the whole thing, and even during one of the the talks, he just kind of busted in and was loud and t telling everybody how sorry he was. And I mean, like, like he always yeah. did, kind of a. He busted in the meeting right when I was giving oh, the talk. Oh, were you the one talking? Yeah, I was the one talking, and I just remember being blown away and he was noisy when he came in and 
uh, I couldn't think anymore. I ended my talk when yeah, he came in. I remember in. that being a super bizarre. Yeah. So we, uh, after that funeral, and she was buried there, um, when we came home, I, I can't remember, what, but going back to the uh, her apartment um, and, and the crime scene, you know, you, there's parts of this stuff that you never really think about unless you've gone through it, but it's like, there's still a mess there that the family has mm-hmm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to talk about that? When we fin- when they finally got the yellow tape out and they allowed people to go in and they'd gotten all their evidence and their fingerprints and all that stuff, uh, you want to describe kind of how that was? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, when I first walked in her door... Her shoes were right by the door. She always took her shoes off. And uh, I saw those shoes, and I thought, well, this is as far as I can go. I'm not going in this house. But I did and, um, and went down to her bedroom. There was a huge, big, bloody spot on the bed where uh, he had shot her and cut her throat. And then there was a thick trail of blood where he dragged her and uh, into the utility room and put her into that little freezer. There was, <clears throat> there was blood everywhere and um, he even left um, a bloody footprint on top of the freezer door that he had. Yeah, I know. He had said he was the angel of death, and I just kind of pictured him putting her in that cold freezer and then jumping up on the top of it and saying, I am the angel of death. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I remember there were footprints all over from him. Uh, I, I would imagine it wasn't an easy task. He was a little squirrely guy of, like, the, I remember the footprints all around the freezer. They were just everywhere, like, yeah. in her blood that it took him. It was obviously, took him a minute to to get him, to get her. And, you know, he had taken the stuff out of the freezer, too, yeah. right, to make room for her. Mm-hmm. And so this was obviously, well, thought out that he didn't want a body in there decomposing, obviously. So, I mean, isn't that what the idea was, that he would... I would think that's the... I mean, if not, he could have just left her in bed. The people later determined that um, the reason he killed her was because he was afraid of her because he thought she was a replicant. But um, I don't know. The freezers are where you put human beings when they're a dead body. And I see no reason to put a replicant in the yeah, freezer. Yeah, that, that whole thing is pretty odd thinking. And um, so he, obviously, to cover his tracks, wanted to have her body being frozen, obviously, um, rather than sitting there in the bed and maybe somebody detecting it or something. like. I would imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's smelling or yeah. whatever, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I remember that scene being 
horrible. The you, you, it's almost surprising a body would have that much blood in it because not only was that mattress just covered in blood, but that I mean that drag mark was like at least a foot wide yeah. and just constant all the way back to that room. Solid blood. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, horrible, horrible. And, and you know, it was just like it was a really nice apartment, but she, I mean, kind of made you sick. She was down there in the in the basement where her bed was. He He's up in that nice, really, really nice room. I mean, it's a nice little apartment, but um, she obviously got the... Uh, that just added to it all, I guess. Um, she always let Jeremy pick which room he wanted. He yeah. always gave her the not good one. So, anything else you want to say about that? Uh, that was just a weird, weird uh, crime scene as we were going through. He just had weird stuff all over the place. I mean, that part really wasn't that much of a surprise, but just weird little, uh, I don't know, just, I guess it just emphasized what an oddball he was but yeah he had little um men that uh, were hanging from the ceiling with nails he had hammered nails all the way through them um on his computer there was so many violent um videos from uh terrorist training camps that were Showing unspeakable things. These are the kinds of things he was into. Hmm. So, after uh, the you got the whole apartment taken care of and and sold. Um, now, this is a part. I guess the rest of this. As a family, we're going to probably just talk about the side that we knew. The rest of this stuff is where the whole story goes really. I mean, it obviously is a horrible story up to this point, but this is where things get really confusing. So all we're going to be able to do is explain our side of what we went through. And so nobody's accusing anybody of anything or or we're just, to be honest, I'm saying this because it was so frustrating how left in the dark the family was about, about everything. Court cases started to happen pretty regularly where... Really, Mom, did you get much of a heads up on anything as it was other than the dates? No, we didn't. Um, yeah. It's kind of frustrating because when you watch these shows on TV, it's kind of like, um, it seems like when you watch these murder mysteries or whatever, that the uh, that there's a big priority in how the family of the victims are are informed and and they're a big part of the decision making and there's there's just like a lot of uh, participation on the on their end mm -hmm. and from the beginning did did you feel like there was a ton of that no uh -uh. no they told us little things about Jeremy like he was in jail bragging that he had killed his mom and. They said he found out that it was being reported back, what he was saying, and so he quit talking then. And um, that was in the beginning how they, our, our attorney, well, the county attorney, whatever it was, he told us that um, um, Anyway, 
Well, this was the part where he, um, where he was bragging, bragging about that he had done it. Yeah. And then he realized that what he was saying was getting back to the courts and was getting back to the, and he. Um, we were told by the attorneys that that he stopped talking then and wouldn't talk to anyone. He wouldn't talk to his attorneys, the police, or anyone. And that's at the beginning of why they determined he was incompetent because. He wouldn't speak, and so he wasn't competent to get a fair trial. So, And the average person who's just watching the news, it actually wasn't, didn't look too far-fetched, because he did look crazy on the news. Yeah. I mean, he just had like that hollow look in his face. Yeah. Um, and like we've been explaining before, it's not like he was Mr. Uh, Social, Mr. Uh, he, he was an oddball, but he definitely had a look of... Uh, of psychosis a little bit just and and so i guess maybe as a person as just an average person out there that's just watching this unfold on the news it'd be easy for you to say that kid was crazy right yeah but i mean people came forward his friends and stuff and said no he was a super fun it wasn't just our family saying that um that he was not crazy he was odd he was weird but there were friends and people in the school that came forward and said no he he was able to have friendships he was able to function in the schools and stuff like that, right? Yes. And um, when I saw and noticed things were going so sideways, um, I remember trying to call the doctor down there that was seeing Jeremy, and I said... Well, hold on. So, oh, first of all, he was, he was, in, he was in Farmington's um, jail. Yes. Uh-huh. And so he, he had been oh, yeah. going in and dealing with... Uh, some assessors and some people that were trying to figure him out. And before he went down to the state hospital, he had had a, a I don't know, some sort of a therapist type um, person that was diagnosing him who, who had kind of set, stated, I think he might be faking this, right? Yeah. So they called him malingering in that, but that he might be faking crazy. Yeah. But to make sure that they want, they wanted to send him down to the state hospital to have a experts um, take a look at him to see what they thought, right? Right. Okay, and so when he got taken down there, mm-hmm. you tried getting hold of him. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like they had no way to have a complete story of what Jeremy was like. They didn't know him before he killed Lara, and um, they, and I thought that I should be able to tell them how he was. and uh, But they refused to talk to me. They said it would violate Jeremy's rights if I told them anything about him. So you weren't calling to get like an update on him or, or to see, to make sure if he was uh, taking his meds or anything. You wanted to help out the assessment team on getting an accurate history on him. Absolutely. And you would think, I guess, that if somebody was very interested in getting the accurate diagnosis of somebody, that they would be interested in the very few people that are out there that actually did have, uh, that knew him. Yes. He lived in our home for almost a year. I saw him every day. I was very well acquainted with how Jeremy was. And um, I just wanted to give them information to help them diagnose him and and they wouldn't because they said it violated his rights. And I said, well, just listen to me then. Don't tell me anything. Just listen to things I have. And they wouldn't listen. 
to me at all or let me say anything what I knew about Jeremy. And after I hung up, I thought, that's impossible that they don't want to hear how well, things, facts about Jeremy. And I called him several times <laughs> thinking that they wouldn't say that every time, but they did. They would never talk to me. Now, I guess in in their stance, they're probably thinking, well, all you have to, you're going to just say is the negative about him. But the, yeah. uh, all they were going off of, of is self-report from a kid who has already killed his mom. Yeah. And so um, the best info they were getting was obviously horrible info anyway, other than his behavior there. Now, this is kind of where his really elevated IQ kind of came into being a worry on our part. Yeah. Was that we all knew, we all knew how smart he was and how he had the ability to learn the right things to say and the you know act the right way. He he would he was very capable of pulling that off. Yes. And that had to be one of the biggest worries, right? He was very aware. Yeah. He took a psych class in high school just but he very was very aware, I know, that in Utah you have to think a person isn't human in order to have that defense that um, he thought they would. So he came up with the idea that his mom was a replicant and he was afraid of her. But Jeremy never spent a day in his life being afraid of his mom. She was... Well, there's nobody that could have been afraid of her. No. There's not... Uh, she didn't have an enemy in the world, I don't think. And um, um, so, the biggest, the biggest uh, concerns I think that everybody had that did know him was that he was going to be able to smooth these doctors over and uh, be able to um, get either off easier or something was going to happen in it. And and that's actually kind of exactly what did happen. They, uh, you went to a scheduled court hearing one day, right? Mm-hmm, yes. And how did that go? They told us it was over. They had um, gotten together and um, decided that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. And uh, we said, we don't agree. We, there are things you don't even know about Jeremy. No one has talked to us about him. And um, they said, it's done. It doesn't matter. It's a done deal. He, um, the papers are signed, and he's done. And, um, and he'd be going to the state yeah. hospital. And when you go to the state hospital and you're... Um, I was promised then in that meeting that he would never get out of the state hospital. Yeah, that and that was by the uh, the um, Davis County Attorney's Office that made that promise that yes. basically said, and, and they had a good reason to because the burden would be upon him to show that he was, if he were ever going to get out again, was going to be on him to show that he was a safe, uh, pro-social member of society again or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so everybody knew that that wouldn't happen because it never has happened. And so I think the sales pitch that they gave you was that 
um, it took away the risk of him going to trial and possibly getting a lighter sentence. This was more like a life sentence. Yeah, wasn't that the kind of the sales pitch that Absolutely. they gave? Absolutely. So it was going to be like. Um, now the risk that this took was that it took away any chance of further prosecuting him. He was basically deemed like non not guilty, right? Exactly. And so the his whole case got taken over by the state hospital. So there would never be a parole board again. The judge was kind of taken out of the it, it all went all the power went to the state hospital, right? And and, and you were okay with that, right? I was okay. I didn't care if he went to prison or the state hospital. I just wanted him to be somewhere where everyone would be safe from him. Right. And and that I remember that being a little frustrating because it was like, well, he's not really paying the price. He's not going to prison. It was kind of, in a selfish way, I guess, was kind of exciting or satisfying to think of him in that horrible setting of a prison, which he deserved Um but he was going to be now in a state hospital. However, it was kind of nice feeling like he's never going to get out. Yes, absolutely. And the part that I kind of was fine with it um, about was uh, I was sure Laura adored him. And um, I'm sure she would rather he be in a hospital than a prison. And I thought, for that reason, it's good and we are safe from him forevermore now, and so it's fine. It's a good ending. You know, Mom, I remember driving with you to the police station the day it happened. I mean, it was just literally uh, right when it had happened, and you hadn't even been to the police station yet, obviously. So you and I were driving there, and I remember you saying that, I mean, obviously already knowing that it was Jeremy that did it, and you were saying that, your sister, if she had the choice, she would have picked that he did kill her rather than anybody else. Yeah. That obviously she wouldn't have wanted to get killed by her son, but that if it was going to have to be somebody, that she would rather be her. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the initial things you told me yeah. right off the bat. That's, I mean, that's how much she loved him yeah. and cared about how... Uh, it would have been so hard for her to have lived watching her son um, that he had killed someone else else, and she had to just sit and watch all of that happen so anyways even though it was kind of a even though it was kind of didn't feel totally right uh, everybody kind of took a a sigh of relief there and um, moved on and nobody heard from him and we kind of felt like we never would Exactly. And then out of nowhere, uh, the message kind of comes along that suddenly the experts down at the state hospital who had diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. Let's back up here for a minute. Um, I'm going to talk about this just for a second because that diagnosis is an interesting one because um, schizophrenia is 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 a is like a thought disorder, obviously of the brain. It's it's um, but it's it's kind of commonly understood that 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 diagnosis takes some sort of a trigger event to to kick it into gear. You could be born with 
predisposed to maybe having it, but they've had identical twins where one ended up getting it and one uh, didn't. And the, and the trigger that could set something that, like that off could be drug abuse or it could be obviously a super um, stressful situation that could kick it into gear. So the thing that was kind of frustrating for all of us was that he was given a diagnosis by experts that never knew him before he had committed this murder. So it would be really easy to, I think, say that um, even if he did end up with the diagnosis of, of schizophrenia, it do doesn't mean that he had it when he committed the murder. Am I making sense on this? Yeah. It's like yeah, these guys didn't know him. Now, now he just kept, now he kills his mom, and then months later they diagnose him as schizophrenic. And, and they it, got all of their information from him. about him from him. From him. And so, I mean, it would be very, I, I guess, understandable to say, or, or it just makes a lot of sense. I'm a, I'm a clinical therapist, and I, I'm, I'm saying I don't understand. I must have missed the class on how you diagnose somebody before you have met them um they i think if he legitimately was schizophrenic when they did do the diagnosis it's very possible that he wasn't when he committed the murder so anyways that that part was super confusing to me but so now they come to you and say we've got him under control with medication and Basically, the deal is done that he's getting out, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even like, hey, there's a court date because the court's not involved anymore. It was a done, pretty much, we were told, pretty much a done deal. He was going to be set free. And the game plan was that he was going to most likely go back with his dad. Yes. And so... As if that wasn't a gut punch. I mean, how did that feel when you found that out? I mean... Well, we haven't, of course, seen Jeff, his dad, since 2006. But the man he was then is not a person that um, should be taking care of an insane um, schizophrenic murderer. He... Uh, I don't know if he has now, but he's had a drinking problem all of his life that I've known him. He may have overcome it. I don't know where he is now, but uh, that was... So obviously, I mean, it doesn't... Even if uh, even if Jeff has pulled himself together and has become some, uh, I don't know, a good guy, uh, Jeremy getting out, obviously... Having his schizophrenia managed now with medication, he's deemed um, safe enough to go back into the society. I mean, tell me how that uh, that kind of undid all the peace that you were given when they told you he was going to be end up being there forever, right? Exactly. Um, he showed no signs of being a murderer before he killed Lara. And I guess now he isn't showing any signs either. But Jeremy's brilliant. Um, he can he can easily show them the personality that they want to see. He can he can be that person, and he can be nice and polite and obey all the rules. And but you know, if their diagnosis is correct, it's not. Um, 
a diagnosis that you get cured from. You can take medication for it, but you have to take the medication, and who knows? I mean, it's just insane to me to think of letting him go after so much vicious behavior. Well, you know, putting myself into the uh, into maybe the role of a of a therapist that's working with Jeremy, I think um, this is what I find fascinating. People people aren't like cars where you can check all of the motor parts and make sure that they're running. We have to go off of like you talked about a lot that they didn't have was information from other people on how their behavior is. You got to go off their behavior. And um, one thing that I find kind of interesting is that they're saying now that he has enough empathy or he has enough of what it takes to be a safe member of society. So I would imagine if all of a sudden the lights flipped on and you thought, I actually now care about the feelings of other people, about how my behavior influences other people, that if you all if those lights all of a sudden flipped on, wouldn't the lights flip on at the same time as to the damage that you've done in the past? And I would have to say that yes, if if you're all of a sudden able to care about other people and 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 their feelings that you would also care about how you've damaged people in the past and you would want to fix that. And I think that as a a therapist working with these guys, some uh, these clinical psychologists, that, like I said, there's not a car, there's not a hood that you can flip to check. You have to go off of their behavior and their um, what they're saying. And and if and the things that I think that he should be saying are, I think I can go out and be this safe person. And I also want to fix what I've done in the past, which would be I need to get a hold of this family, her family, and fix it. And it seems like those two would go together. If you're all of a sudden healthy, you would want to fix what you've done in the past. And 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 that, I mean, as simple as even an apology, I think, may not give everybody a, a ton of confidence in him going out, but it would be at least a step that... If, I can't think of another step that a therapist or that somebody diagnosing somebody would want to have more than that as far as to decide whether or not somebody was going to be healthy down the road. Um, I don't know, Mom. I mean, I mean when, when... So, back to the story, I guess. Uh, so, they came to you. They said, listen... It doesn't matter what the courts say. It doesn't matter what the judge says. It just matters what these uh, professionals down at the state hospital say. Yeah. And they're saying they're going to let him go. Yes. So then, after that, I guess... And uh, about the apology thing, though, um, I have tried, and members of our family have tried, to call down there and see if we could see Jeremy. And talk to him about all of this, but he refuses to talk to us, and of course, no apology either, but um, he gets to choose because um, 
we have no say in who he gets to talk to. He, he chooses not to talk to us or apologize to us or anything like that. It's been a lot like he's been pulling the strings since the whole thing went down. Exactly. He, uh, he obviously, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but he, he did get a good attorney who has, in my opinion, done a very good job in putting him into, uh, in portraying him in a light that, it, as the victim from the very beginning, yes. it seems like he has been able to pull that off. Um, <clears throat> and Jeremy, when he got down to the state hospital... He was obviously pre- – you were prevented from giving any any kind of backstory as to how he grew up, as to how he was. And now he's supposedly getting out and still nobody can get a hold of him or reach him. He's just ready to go back out into society. Right. So I guess the only rest of the story there is – um, we hired an attorney that kind of put pressure back on the, uh, the, uh, attorney's office here in Davis County. Yeah. They, um, I don't understand the legal process totally. This is our first dealing with, um, legal system like this, but, um, the judge apparently has some say, I, I, my understanding is they gave all of the power what to do with Jeremy to the state hospital, but the judge still has some say because he started to um, have a hearing and hear things, but then COVID came and it all went away. But we were told even before the hearing that they would let us tell a story, but that it was pretty much a done deal and he was going to be set free. So, you know, I, I, just to kind of summarize the whole thing, I feel like having watched it pretty close, um, it has been it has been far from the story that you kind of expect. Of let's uh, let's pull the family in, let's see what they have to say, let's get some information, make the best decisions we can by the best information we've got. Let's see if the family's going to agree to the terms of maybe uh, agreeing to go to the state hospital rather than having a trial. Now that he's getting close to, we're going to get the family involved and see maybe um, if if they have some concerns about him getting out or you know about his residency in Utah or Montana where the rest of the family is. It's just been kind of uh, we've been one step behind all of it. It's it's already happened and they've kind of told us. And I and I, and and this is to the point we are right now. And I would say. Would it surprise? I would imagine if COVID didn't happen right there, that this would obviously all be done. Uh-huh. They, they were kind of setting up some court date for something, but it seemed like more of a. We were told that we would be able to say our say, but it really didn't matter because yeah, it, it was, was pretty of, much a done deal. And so it was actually kind of a dumb thing to uh, go to a court and and uh, bag on a convicted murderer who's about to get out. Mm-hmm. That didn't seem like an exciting um, opportunity for anybody, but. Mom, if if you were to be called today and told Jeremy's out, and that'd be par for the course. I mean, you, you, it wouldn't surprise you at all, would it? No. Uh-uh. I mean, this, I wonder all the time: Did they really let him go? Are they let him go? They just will never tell us. Or yeah, would we even know about? Would it we or even not? know? Yeah. And that's the part. Uh, probably one of the biggest reasons why 
we kind of wanted to get this on here is to kind of let the public know that I think sometimes we have this understanding that everything's going to be fair and right and, and roll out in the right order. And in this case, it just didn't feel like it ever did. It never felt like the right steps were. And, and even, I guess we wouldn't even have that big of an opinion, negative opinion about it had you been involved with the right. decision making. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. it's, it's not, obviously you're going to be somebody who's going to um, have some strong feelings about what happens to the person who kills your, your sister, but the alternative is just going off of him. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I would encourage anybody who's listening to this to, uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem like this would make much of a difference, but I think it really did. I think that it really would. I think, you know, contact the Davis County Attorney's Office and, and express your your frustration with, I mean, this is a this is a kid who not only committed a murder, but murdered his mom. And not only murdered his mom, but murdered her in, in probably the most disgusting and violent ways that that you could even think of to to shoot somebody in the head that close point but in her bed and then cut her throat and and watch her die there then and then so meaninglessly throw her body into a freezer take off and and go straight to sportsman's warehouse load up with guns this is a kid who's sitting in montana waiting for the rest of the family to come to a funeral and he is waiting to finish the job and to catch him there, to think that that is a kid who belongs, who gets a second chance. I don't think that the community should be white mice that get to be a, to get to, for him to be tested. He, he doesn't deserve another chance. And especially the way that this has gone down, nobody's been able to tell their side of the story and, uh, and and it doesn't surprise anybody on the on our family side that he's been able to so easily, maybe not easily, but smoothly uh, manipulate the system right. and get to where he's at. Mom, I'm going to ask you one more question about the whole thing. And, and uh, unless you had something else, I got one more question. Do you have anything on there that that you've left out that you're going to not be able to sleep tonight if you get it out there because you got your... Well, it's just that this is real thing here, and I've read several stories of, of men like this who have... Well, like Ed Kemper, you know, he was... killed his grandparents and was put in asyl- insane asylum for his life, and he uh, was smart like Jeremy. He totally convinced everyone that he was well and he knew how to talk to them and act and so they set him free and he went on to kill eight other people including his mom and I wish um, with all my heart that I believed all that has happened in this case has been right and correct but I cannot believe that. I believe this case has gone so far wrong and that letting Jeremy out will put um, innocent people at risk and that he has more horror and viciousness in him to continue what he started. I think that's a a powerful thing to say that... um that it is real life 
it's it's up until this happens to you and and your loved one. You think of stories like Ed Kemper and and Ted Bundy and all these uh, people who went on to kill so many people that are so smooth and good, high IQs and were able to smooth people over. That you, you think of those stories as almost like storybook stories that they happen to everybody else, but it's real life. And he, uh, I'm sitting across the table from from the sister of somebody who was shot in the head and had her, and and was killed by her her only son. And uh, mom, this was the probably the last question I wanted to ask you, unless okay. you had anything else. Was that if if you could talk to Laura right now? Now remember, this is her son that I'm asking you about. If you could if you could talk to her and ask her what. What would you want for your son? What What do you think the best thing for him would be? Um, what do you? I mean, I, we didn't go over this before, and I, I know I, I'm catching you a little off guard with this question, <laughs> but I, I think it's kind of an easy one, probably to answer. But yeah. what do you think she would say? Well, I know that she would praise Jeremy and and forgive him for what he did to her, but I'm positive. She would not want him to be put in a position where he could hurt anyone else. I'm happy for him to be in the uh, state hospital, if that's not as as traumatic to him as being in prison. But he needs, and I know Lara wouldn't want him to be able to hurt anyone else. I agree, I think. I don't think she would say, I would say, I think he had to go to prison. But yeah. I know his mom would say um, yeah. that you're right. I think she would have forgiven him, obviously, but known that he doesn't have what it takes to uh, be safe and yeah. that somebody else would be um, hurt, no doubt. Um. Is there anything else, Mom? I know this is probably the first time you've uh, had the opportunity. I don't know if that's what it's called, the opportunity, but um, to, to, to say, throw the whole is... story out there <laughs> in one. Um, I know that you have a lot of family back in Montana that probably have, um, but I think everybody's feelings are pretty close to the same, and that's yeah. that. Uh, it's a super unfortunate story, a super sad story of a really kind and loving and super awesome little girl that grew up and married really the wrong guy and had a son that grew up uh, with some interesting circumstances and ended up killing her and uh, it's a super sad story and it and it's like you said it's gone off the rails and continues to get more sad and and it, it but it, the story does need to end at one point it does. and that needs to end with with him being in a place where he can't hurt anybody else exactly so hopefully anybody listening can um, at least uh, share this story with with other people and uh, and if you if you did feel like uh, getting a little more brave and contacting I mean it's a real story and this is somebody who could potentially be on the streets again super soon and who actually who knows if he's not already who, who yeah. it's not like we've been given a ton of info on this story as it's going on but I want to thank uh, you mom I know that's a uh, tough things to talk about and I know it's not your favorite topic but I also know you know you love your sister enough to want to get the story out in a way that um, 
will protect her son and the public at the same time for exactly. having this kind of a thing happen again. Yeah. So anyway, thank you very much, Mom, for coming on, and I uh, appreciate your willingness to talk about it. And until next time.